Well, good morning, everyone. If I, if I haven't had the joy of actually saying hello to you today uh, or another Sunday, my name is Mitch Clausen, and I, I have the privilege of working here uh, as the youth and community pastor. And I have also the gift of sharing God's word with us this morning. And before we, before we enter into this time of the sermon, I just want to take a moment to just pause. I'm going to leave a little bit of time of silence, and I'm going to pray for us this morning uh, before we opens God, uh, open God's word together. So I invite you uh, to pray with me. Father, it's a gift to be here and to, to have this experience with others. The gift of your church, the gift of people who follow you all gathering together in worship and praise of your name. So, thank you that you're here, that you're with us, and we're grateful that you draw us together, uh, one with another, and you draw our hearts towards you, in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, currently, uh, this is our last week, I believe, uh, in our series for the summer called The Rule of Life. And uh, the rule of life is talking about rhythms that we have that lead us to follow and worship Jesus. Rhythms that we have in our life that lead us to follow and worship Jesus, and therefore I believe and am convinced that we become more like Jesus. And as I was, as I was praying, as I was reading the news, as I was... Yeah, asking the Lord, what, what could we talk about this week? I felt like the invitation for us uh, is the reminder to participate in the practice of embracing the local church. The practice of embracing the local church. Oddly enough, me as a pastor, I also asked the question, why go to church? Maybe you've asked that question this morning uh, when your alarm clock maybe rang too early and maybe the kids were running around or your body just said, not today, uh, and asking this question, why go to church? For some of us, if not all of us, we hear the word church and a swath of images, words, experiences, assumptions, stories pop into our mind about what we believe the church is. And sometimes when those images and words come to us, we actually question, why then should we go? And so the first question I just want to ask us this morning is what is the church? What is the church? I think that sometimes we think that we have life. I was meaning to have a bulletin board here, but it's not here. So you can imagine I had a board here that says life. And sometimes we think when we follow Jesus, we just tack the word Christian onto ourselves, And then after that, we tack church onto Christian. As if that's the natural progression. We live this life, Jesus adds some good benefits, and then we have to go to church. 
And although that sometimes, or, or having that sometimes as our framework, I wanted to go one question deeper and say, why does the church exist? Not just what is the church, but why is the church? Because when we ask why, we're asking deep, or we almost assume to ask two deeper questions. What is the point in participating in the church? And what is the role of the church in our formation into the likeness of Jesus? Questions that align with the series we have on the rule of life. What does church actually do? And is it worthwhile? And in prayer and reading and contemplation this week, I, I grew convinced of this. And this is just a statement I, I'll repeat a couple times throughout the sermon. That we cannot be formed into the likeness of Jesus without the church. Because it is his body. And we cannot understand the church without being immersed in it. Because we are members of his body. And so my invitation today is for us to embrace the local church. Jesus and the church are inseparable. One cannot be without the other. And my hope for doing that uh, is to do three things. First is this. I want to say, how does the church start in this unfolding narrative of Scripture? How do we see the church actually start? That's going to be the first thing. The second thing is, what is the deeper beginning? Because I believe that there's a deeper beginning than what we might see just in Scripture, but actually, what is God's initiative? What is God's motivation in the presence of the church? So first, we're going to see how the church begins in the narrative of Scripture. Second, we're going to ask, what is the deeper beginning? What is God's initiative in the presence of the church? And third, what are some of our misunderstandings? What are some of our misunderstandings and what is the invitation? So that's going to be our movement this morning. And so first we ask, how did the church come to be in this narrative that we call Scripture? We're going to be focusing um, in our time on a letter to the Ephesians by the Apostle Paul. But the story that we see kind of the church being birthed is in the book of Acts. So um, I encourage you, if you have your Bibles with you, you can, you can turn to Ephesians 1. Uh, and those um, of you who don't have that, we're going to just start by talking about the book of Acts. Because in the story of Acts... The birth of the church is marked by the arrival of the Holy Spirit. The church is God's initiative to a worshipful community to make His presence known. There's three things to highlight that I, I see at the start of the church. The first is this, and this actually might be the hardest for me to comprehend. It's God's initiative, not ours. It is God's initiative, not ours. Second, this is an initiative to those who are a worshipful community. Who actually yearn to follow Jesus. And third, the church is a space where God's presence can be made known. So three things. The church is marked by God's initiative. To a people who desire to worship Him. And third, it's a place where God can make His presence known. In the story of Acts, we see God, of his own initiative, saw that the formation of a fellowship, a group of people, 
as his followers, as the proper next step in this grand promise to establish new creation in a world that so often tastes of death. Christ said that the unending aftertaste of Christ's defiance of death on the cross would be the gathered group of his people that declare him as Lord. The world would not be able to shake this taste of new life in the gathered group of people who follow Jesus. In the book of Acts, we see followers of Jesus gathered together for times of worship through singing. Singing these generation-old poems. We see them praying orally through the Psalter, the book of Psalms. We see and hear about them reading Scripture under their finicky oil lamps. Participating in acts of generosity toward other people who declare Jesus as Lord. Not just acts of generosity to their friends. In Acts we see hands-on care for those in need of shelter and food. Relief from pain. But sometimes when we talk about the start of the church, it's easy just to focus on these things that we kind of wish we could do better. But the Apostle Paul wrote lots of letters to lots of churches, and in every situation other than the letter to the Ephesians, Paul is addressing a specific thing that's happening. And often it's actually an issue. Something that has to be addressed. Sometimes he's talking to rich drunks, drinking too much of Jesus' blood, that those who actually had to work that day wouldn't have enough to share in the Lord's Supper later. Sometimes Paul's writing letters to church of slave owners who are trying to hunt down their slaves and need some mediation. Sometimes Paul is writing to people that are experiencing some messed up sexual happenings in the home. People who have a whack and impersonal spirituality because they are convinced that they've already made it to heaven. The Apostle Paul, when he speaks of the word church, he has a plethora of examples of the church beautiful and also the church that is messy. But the reminder that I want to have this morning, that I want to lean into, is that the church is started by God's initiative. Paralleling the birth of Jesus. Because the Spirit births forth a community of believers united in their proclamation that Jesus is Lord and their willingness to be filled with His presence. And in the end, we get the unfolding story of a people who are growing in maturity trying to figure that out. A place that we still are in. Figuring out our maturity of being in the fullness of Christ. What it means to be a worshipful community. But it's often in the church figuring out the maturity side of things that we get caught up in. And we might actually forget why God actually initiated this group of people to begin with. So pushing aside the programs offered by the church, the socializing that can happen on a Sunday morning, my hope is that today we would be reminded that we are here because we've been mutually invited by Jesus to declare Him as Lord. That in this space, my encouragement and my hope would be that each of us would see one another not as the quality of their faith, but in the reality that each of us here 
have been rescued by the initiative of Jesus and brought to new life and are drawn to worship and waiting to see God's transformative presence come. And so we turn to Ephesians. Paul's letter where he talks about the deeper beginning of the church. And he says, as a spoiler alert, in chapter 4, verse 13, that Jesus saw fit to give us one another, each of us, Jesus saw fit to give us one another until we all reach unity in faith and the knowledge of God's Son And until each of us and all of us grow into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. He says that's how long we're going to need one another. Paul, in the letter to the Ephesians, casts a vision for what it means to live in the full, as the full church. The people of God united to the source of life that never runs dry, nor shrivels, nor molds. So in the first chapter, Paul invites us to re-remember what God has done, who Christ is, and who we are in Christ. The church. The why. God's motivation. This is the deeper work of creating the church that often gets missed. And so I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. And what we read here is God, well, the words of God initiated by Paul, there's seven verbs that are used, that Paul uses to communicate God's actions to us. God's actions to us, not our own response. God's initiative. And so we read this, and I I encourage you to listen to God's why. The action words used by Paul. We read this, Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 6. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as children through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. I read this. And I see a God of blessing lavishing His blessing on His people before they've done anything. In love, every spiritual blessing is given to those who follow Jesus. We're reminded that we are indeed His because we have been chosen prior to the earth being formed on the potter's wheel. Chosen for this this purpose that is holy. It's set apart. It's something that you will not get anywhere else. Set apart for the things of God. A newness of life marked by the way of resurrection. That is what will mark this people of blessing. And this blessing flowing from the God of new life is according to His good pleasure. Not His forced pressure. 
I just think sometimes we show up at church and we feel this pressure like we have to be here. Like we're letting God down if we're not showing up. When really what we see in Ephesians 1 is that the creation of his people is actually God's pleasure. It's his enjoyment. That we're lavished with the love that he bestows upon us. Just like he said that Mary was one who is favored. God's favor rests upon those who declare him as Lord and who gather together. Because sometimes we feel like church is this place of pressure. Instead, God looks at this mess, this group of people who are not perfect, and says that it's good. He says, I actually enjoy this, seeing this, being a part of this gathering of people. Our showing up just our own doing, and this place, this building, this service is not just our own creation. It's the reception of the intentional and abundant plan of God to bless people with himself. But in Ephesians, this language again of receptivity continues. Again, this is the marking of the start of the people of God. And we read this in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 7, that God gathers us as participants of redemption. We read this in verse 7. In Him, we, all of us, in Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Riches that He poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure that He purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything, to gather everything in Christ together. Both things in heaven and things on earth. So when we say, why is the church? Not only was it God's good pleasure to lavish you individually with a sense of love, the desire of his heart is to make known this love to all of those who declare him as Lord. Those of us gathered here. He not only wanted us as individuals to know the sweetness of being forgiven from the reckless and the fruitless attempts to be in control. And instead says, I want all of you to run in the fields of abundant love together. Gathered together in the love of Christ that we have all received. Again, God's good pleasure is that those who declare Him as Lord would be united. A physical expression of a love that's beyond what is seen. Things in heaven, things on earth. God says to you and to I that part of His will is revealed in what we are doing this morning. By physically showing up from the ordinariness of our life to show up together. Consistently. Worshipping Him and awaiting His presence. In verses 11 to 14, Paul continues. In fact, God says, part of our inheritance, this blessing that we taste of eternally, eternally is a space where we praise God together. 
Verse 11 says this, In Him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the One who works everything in agreement with the purpose of His will. So that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to His glory. In Him you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. While the clay was still on the wheel, God declared that the eternal gift of receiving His love would be reveling in that love as a united people from generations before for generations to come. Constantly reminding ourselves of the hope of life in the resurrected Jesus. God eternally receives praise by His people gathering. Reality, God has a high view of the collective experience of those whom He calls His children. The church. But all these verbs, all these action words that we read, blessed, chosen, destined, bestowed, lavished, made known, gathered up, all of these are through God's power at work in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Starting in verse 20, we read this of Ephesians 1. He exercised all of this power in Christ by raising Him from the dead and seating Christ at God's right hand in the heavens. Far above all rulers and authorities, powers, dominions, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He, God, subjected everything under His feet and appointed Him Jesus, as head over everything for the church, which is his body. Hear this the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. The church is the fullness of Christ who fills all things in every way. Jesus is head over the ecclesia. What I love is I was reading some commentaries this week. They said, people have tried to make this word way cooler than it is. All that it means is a gathered group of people. That's all that this means. Jesus, speaking through Paul, doesn't use this special new word that we latch onto and say that's ours. He says, it's a gathered group of people. This is who Christ is head over. A gathered group of people who are marked in their identity by the one who initiates all things for the fullness of life. Christ's body. These ordinary people at this ordinary gathering. Us. Paul says is the fullness of the one who fills all things. The church is the summary of all that God has done. All who Christ is. And all that we are in Christ. 
But what does Paul mean when he says that we're the body? Verse 23. What does that mean? Why this image of a body? And again, I was trying to think of something deep and unique, but really what I just realized, and it should be obvious to all, as it should be obvious to me, is that growth is implied. Growth is implied. And later Paul says, what this growth is, is maturity into the likeness of Jesus. We're a body that's not stagnant, but growing. Somehow, if all of this is true, of the church being God's initiative, Our gathering helps us be more like Jesus. The church was not a human best guess at what to do once Jesus peaced out. Well, we should just meet together. This is God's initiative for us to grow in maturity one with another. Ephesians 4.13 again. Paul says, we are given each other until we all reach unity in faith through the knowledge of Jesus, until we are mature enough to look as robust as the source of life himself, Jesus, that's how long we're going to be gathering together. That's until we maintain the fullness of Christ. Currently, my wife Nicole and I, and actually Jess Ng uh, here, we're, we're all training for a race next weekend. And I won't speak for them, I'll speak for myself, that this race is longer and has more elevation than anything I've done in my life. And I can say confidently, as you see me standing before you today, that I can move my body. But I also assure you that my body is not generally in agreement with its fellow members in this current state of training. And so as we talk about the deeper being of the church, some of you might admit that this unity of the body talk is a great ideal, but it's not the reality. And my talk sincerely is not to downplay the hurt, the pain that you may have experienced in the name of Jesus, which has not been for your growth, which has not been for edification. But... Still emphasizing the hope behind the presence of the church. Paul goes on to say this in Ephesians 2 verse 4. That the power of natural barriers that we face relationally. The messiness of the church. The power of natural barriers that we face relationally. Hostilities. This power is being torn down by the body of Jesus. Ephesians 2 verse 14 says this. For he, that is Jesus, is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. And all of this is in his flesh. In Jesus, a unique aspect about this community is that in his body, the things that we assume in our culture to tear people apart do not actually have to be true because our God is resurrected. New life comes out of places of death and pain. And this hostility that we sometimes feel is not just the big stuff. Often it's the little stuff. The ordinary things. We look at other people's work-life balance and we wish that we had it. We look at their financial situation 
and wish we had that much, or we look down on people because they don't quite have as, as much as we do. So we might not give them our time. Maybe it's vacation allowance. Maybe it's someone's gurgly laugh or their eyes of arrogance that you just can't stand. Maybe it's the fact that we don't sing on tune. It's the ordinary stuff. That's what we feel deep within. Hostilities can begin to grow. All of these, large and small, can nudge us to this hostility, which in, in Greek is defined as unfriendliness. But now all of these hostilities, we're told by Paul, in Jesus are repurposed through the peace offered in Christ's body. The body of Christ given for the body of Christ. The person of God, Jesus, given for the people of God, the church. Unlike any other community that we will taste of, peace will not be offered in the same way as we have in the resurrection life of Jesus, proclaimed by the gathering of the local church. And although we might not always taste of it, in Christ, unity is always an accessible option. New life out of death. And so as people who are here, I, I ask sincerely for you to think, where have you actually tasted of this peace before? Peace that no other environment would offer you. How has the church been a place where you have seen hostilities actually put at bay and given peace? Some of you, I ask, where do you wish to see it? this accessible option of peace in the body of Christ, where do you wish you could see it? As the barriers are broken down by us showing up together, we're unified, not simply by our interests. And this is what I think makes the, the, the Christian community of those who follow Jesus unique. That we're not actually drawn together by our own interests. But instead, Paul gives three metaphors saying that there's different elements for the church's unity. And he says this in Ephesians 2, verse 19. He says, So then you are no longer foreigners. You're no longer strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints. I love that he calls us saints. The gathered group of people marked by a different identity. You're not strangers now. You're brought here as saints. The members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Paul gives three metaphors, three images. First he says that we are God's household. We are children marked by the identity of our Lord. We comprise God's family. And not only are we a household, we are a temple that is growing. A space cultivated for worship where we know and have a sense of belonging. So we are God's household. We are God's temple. And third, Paul says we are God's dwelling. That God can make himself known by the Spirit in this time and place. This, he says, is the deeper reality behind the church. 
But again, I realize that this is not all our own experiences. So we've talked about how the church has started in the story of Scripture. We talked about the deeper being of the church, marked by the blessing that God lavishes and enjoys when his people praise together, when he gathers them. So we've talked about the story of Scripture. We've talked about this deeper meaning. But third is to address the misunderstandings that we feel and experience. There's two big misunderstandings that can create pain within the local church. There might be more, but I just want to summarize them in two sides. Seeing as we are Christ's body, Christ incarnate, fully God, fully human, I think that our misunderstandings come when it's hard for us to put the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus mysteriously united. So I think our misunderstandings come in two forms. One is when we look down upon the humanity of Jesus. The second is when we look down on the divinity of Jesus. So the first, we have a tendency to divide Christ by looking down on his humanity. When I say this, I think of us, and I think that these are all mixed together, but when we say the church is not a building, we can't see it. And so instead, the misunderstanding comes when we feel like we can just self-create it for ourselves. The language we hear is that the church is completely immaterial. It's a piecemeal creation of what we desire for it to be because it's not a place. It's not just a gathering of people. And while it's true that the church is not the building itself, Christ's own body played a crucial role in his life to care for others, and so too do the physical traditions, the histories, the programs, the gatherings, the buildings that we use in this, this active living being called the church. The temptation is that the household, the temple, the dwelling of God becomes ambiguous and spiritual instead of local and tangible. We might even just look down on showing up, like what's the need? I can get my fill elsewhere. There's no point of actually showing up on a Sunday morning when I could sleep in or go to brunch. But when we eliminate, I think, this, this on-the-earth embodied reality of Christ's body, we assume that we don't need the church, we only need ourselves. We can lean into just being an individualistic and opinionated person talking about our faith and our spirituality, and we feel free to just lob bombs, hollering in to the brokenness of the church that is seen, but we're not willing to engage because it's not our problem, and we don't actually need the church. The local pastor, when we look down on the embodied reality of Christ, the local pastor has little to no role because you can receive teachings from better speakers, podcasters, YouTubers, and people that won't make growth a necessity but an option if you so choose. Because of the lack of embodied growth, the implication for those of us within the congregation is that we need not have meaningful relationships with those whom we're gathered with. We don't need spiritual friends. If anything, we can show up to a church gathering for the sole purpose of connecting with our preferred friends. As if church is a social event that does more dividing than it does uniting, 
this group and that group. Those of us who identify with similar hobbies or who are at a similar life stage of being married or having kids or being single. Easily when we think and look down upon the embodied reality of Christ, we will lean into our preferred friends and not to the spiritual friends that gather here shoulder to shoulder. We assume that we've done the maturing and now all we do is the maintaining as we see fit. And so this, I think, is the first misunderstanding that leads to pain within the church of Christ, looking down on the humanity of Jesus. And the second is looking down on his divinity, church as function and program that we control and engineer, and you know that we do it really well. This is the capitalistic CEO model of church that we can see because we can also create it as we would like it to be. And people will enjoy it. I've mentioned this before, but the markers of success when we look down on Christ's divinity are the four B's. Budgets, butts, buildings, baptisms. That's where God shows up if you're doing well in those areas. That's what makes up the church is our annual review For leaders, programs are how the church is sustained and how we know that God is present here. we got programs running well for every age group. For congregants, programs determine where we go because that's where God's presence is if they have the good programs that we need for ourselves. Pastors are worshipped. They're celebrated and central more than the community of believers. And I think we've seen this in the news. Pastors that are celebrated put on a pedestal, and we need not each other, it seems. In this looking down on Christ's divinity, we can attend, but we don't actually need to know anyone, and no one really needs to know us. Summarizing these two unfortunate misunderstandings, Eugene Peterson writes this, the church we want becomes the enemy of the church we have. The idea of what we think the church should be destroys the gift of the church before us. What are the ideals that you carry and bring with you in your understanding of who the church is? What are the ideals that you bring The church we want becomes the enemy of the church that we have. And God says that the church that we have is a gift. It's beautiful. It's a bride adorned for her husband. Lavished in love. Chosen. Gathered intentionally. And so, what's the why and what's the how? The first is, I'm going to offer kind of two sections. The first is um, for some of us who need to embrace the humanity of Christ, his body, the church, and the second is those um, who could be encouraged to um, embrace the divinity of Christ's body, the church. So for those of us um, who need to further embrace the humanity of Christ's body, the church, I encourage you to maintain your identity of being in Christ by keeping company with people who have first-hand knowledge of the same identity. Those of us here 
blessed, chosen, destined, bestowed, lavished, made known, gathered up, all by God's initiative of love. Embrace the mess of being with people because we're a person ourselves. Some of you, I encourage you to, to physically show up. I encourage you to attend. Join community groups. Attend somewhere where someone knows your name. Make it a habit to show up and get involved, to learn alongside people that are different from you, a different age, a different life stage, but someone who knows Jesus, but also someone who might not just be a preferred friend, but someone who holds the same identity, embracing the reality that when we see each other, we would say, we are rescued by Jesus our Lord. That is who we are. And we need to hear that one from another. Last for this section is um, to embrace the local reality of your church by listening to less podcasts and to book a time with your local pastors. I just say this, and I realize it's strange coming from a pastor. I just think we can lean into having discussions with people that will never respond to us. We can always listen to a great person and a great podcast without actually the pastor of your church knowing where you are and how we can actually care for you in a way that is tangible and felt. And that might not even look like a, a physical extension of something. It might actually just be listening to your story and listening to the story of the pastor who also is a human being who is not perfect, who need not be a celebrity, but does want to extend love and care to you. So I encourage some of you, embrace the humanity of Christ's body, the church. And for some of you, I encourage you, embrace the divinity of Christ's body, the church. Rest and refresh when things are not crisp and clean. <laughs> if you want crisp and clean, um, this may not be the place. Performance does not mark the presence of God. Performance does not mark the presence of God. My encouragement for you also is to look for growth that is not controlled or marked by program. I encourage you to look and see with your eyes and all of your senses where there is growth into the likeness of Jesus, even if there isn't a program that fits that growth. Because I don't think that in Galilee they had perfect kids programs or youth nights or community groups. But there were people that gave themselves one to another because they were rescued by Jesus in new life. So I say, where's the growth that's not attached to a program that you will not see in the annual review? Write it down. For some of you, and I, I say this to myself, and I say this from the front, a release of pressure that you might feel to maintain the church. We need not hold the church together because we do not hold together Christ's body. Christ sustains his body. People outside will never understand what happens inside, so we need not try to impress them or match the quality of production put on by Cirque du Soleil. So we can release that pressure to maintain. And the last is... Perhaps to just hear the simple message that your story as someone saved by Christ is a great spiritual gift to someone else here 
whom you may not have yet talked to. So I invite you into the posture of confidence that all that Christ has extended to you might actually be gift to someone who you've never talked to. And so, with these encouragements today, I say again that we cannot be formed into the likeness of Jesus without the church because it's his body. And we cannot understand the church without being immersed in it because we are members of it. And I, I personally see in that no better way than to actually participate in the body and blood of Christ through communion. And so as the worship team comes up, um, they're going to play a song, and I encourage you during that song to come up and to grab um, a container that has a wafer and juice, and to hold on to that during the first song, and then I'll, I'll lead us in communion. And as the team comes up, uh, I hope that this leaves us as an encouragement of the gift of all the people that are here, and those who are part of this community that aren't here this morning, that this is a gift to us and a gift to our growth that Christ has initiated, he will sustain, and also that he lavishes love upon. So let's pray together. Jesus, I'm thankful that you have made it necessary that we gather as your people because we are a people marked by the same love given by you. And I pray for each of us this morning, regardless of where we are in our understanding of the church, comfortable or filled with discomfort. Would you nurture us by your grace? Would you extend your mercy to us? And I pray that you'd also, I don't know, create a lightness that it could be a pleasure to show up and be shoulder to shoulder with the people in this community. For you have blessed us with their presence. And you bless us, I believe, with yours as well. In your beautiful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.